0: Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. A lot too, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kevin Pro
1: with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and I have a special guest on with me today, Jerome DeRoy. Jerome, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. So it would be really easy for me to say, hey, just tell us about yourself. But I, I would like to be a little more refined in how we, how a little bit specific and uh, on how we do we talk about this. It's like, How would you introduce yourself yeah. in English if we met at
0: a networking event? <laughs> Yes, well, yes, I, I was born in France, so I could also do it in French. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've been uh, I've been in the U.S. for a long time now. It's almost uh, well, it's more than more than uh, twenty years, or, or coming up on twenty years. And um, yeah, so the way I'd introduce myself, you know, I, I I'm in the the storytelling field, so there is a story that I have about you know what kind of brought me here, and how I, I came to do what I'm doing because. Uh, When I say to people that I'm running a company that specializes in teaching storytelling uh, in business, uh, it's a bit of a head scratcher sometimes. And like, Mm. you know, there's no degree for that. (laughs) So I uh, I went to business school, um, and uh, I grew up in France, and so that's where I went to business school. And then I started a job uh, in banking, Um, worked in finance for almost five years, which took me to Paris and then to Hong Kong uh, in Asia. And, um, and somewhere along the way, uh, about four, four years into uh, this job, um, I, I was a, a marketing manager and uh, for like an asset management uh, company. And one day I looked on my computer, I, I, I put in three words uh, or three terms in my search engine. One of them was business, the other one was film, and the other one was New York. And then I looked at the results. And six months after that, I walked into my boss's office and I told him, Lawrence, I quit. (laughs) And uh, he said to me, well, you know, what are you going to do? Oh, no, don't tell me. I know you're going to go and work for another bank because they pay more. I'm really (laughs) sorry. My hands are tied. I said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. He said, oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to go. And do what a lot of other people have done is they go and work for a big consulting firm like McKinsey, you know, that's what you're going to do. I said, no, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I said, well, what are you going to do? I don't get it. And I said, well, I'm, I, I'm not sure, uh, but I know it's going to be creative and meaningful. And then I found myself in New York, and, uh, and uh, I was visiting my, my sister, staying with my sister who lived in New York, and uh, I met the founder of Narrative, this company that I now run. Wow. Um, and and that was back in 2005. And it took another couple of years for us to actually work together, but he told me all about this methodology of storytelling and how he really felt businesses could use that. And, and that because of my business background, maybe I could help him figure out how to do that. And so that's what I did. And then a, a, a bit later, we had our first uh, client uh, in 2007. And I haven't looked back since. So that's uh, that's my story. <laughs> so the entry point into
1: narrative was marketing manager, sales. Where, where did you enter?
0: Because I'm assuming yeah. you didn't enter CEO. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. And and actually, I, I uh, so it's it's even more. Of of a kind of natural or you know circuitous way, I should say, to to get to this job is that I met the founder of Narrative. um, His name is Murray Nossel, uh, because at the time he was making documentary films, and I was interested in the world of film. I wanted to be on the business side of film, Mm -hmm. hence those terms that I put in my search engine, and that's how I met him. And he was looking for an intern uh, to help him, not at all on this business, but to help him on one of his films that had been bought by HBO and the BBC. And he wanted to reach you know more, more people essentially. And so he was looking for someone who had that marketing background, which I did. And so, uh, but I was an intern. And then about three months in, uh, there was a budget for my position and we called, uh, we called it production management. So that's what I ended up doing. I started managing his projects. And along the way, he told me about this company. Uh, that he had created but wasn't doing much with. Mm. Uh, People would come to him, mostly nonprofit organizations that had like a a message that was very urgent and needed a story. And because of his background as a psychologist, anthropologist, social worker, and filmmaker, he had created this methodology um, and, and essentially would deliver it to people who asked but wasn't doing any kind of marketing around it. And one day he said, "You know, I really think we we should try, and maybe because of your background, you could, you could help me market this." And so I started doing that kind of as a side gig, really, yeah. uh, because my main job was to be a production manager. And and about uh, a year in, we you know we once we got our first client and we could see a little bit of runway, uh, we both decided we would do this full time. Um, and and then a few years later was. Was when I started to really run the business and and essentially gave myself the title of CEO. <laughs> so tell me the, uh, to me I would think that there's a
1: fairly steep learning curve that uh, our story curve you got to take people through to, yeah. to get them to kind of the understand the value. I mean it's yeah. easy to say yeah you need to tell your story and it will help you you know increase sales or whatever you know whatever the end result is, but I think the difficulty is like putting a value on that. Yeah. Like what's, is it, are they good? do they ask you, well, what's the ROI? What, you know, is there, yeah. you know, is that a, is that a hurdle or an obstacle you've got to overcome?
0: You know, it, it definitely was at first, especially when we didn't have much of a track record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had to sort of point to other experiences um, that were not a one-for-one. Yeah. Uh, so for instance, you know, when we, when we were pitching to uh, a large corporation and their sales department. Um, You know, we would have to go back to um, experiences that we had in the advocacy world Mm -hmm. to say, you know, well, we managed to raise so many dollars uh, for this particular cause. But and and in my mind, it makes sense that, you know, that's very similar to sales. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got you need a message and you need to be consistent with your message and you need a great story to bring it to life. But in the mind of someone who's thinking about their business and exactly that ROI, it's more difficult to make that leap. And so, but that's what we did anyway, uh, because that's what we had. So we started with that. Um, But then what we realized is that when when people, what people were really asking us about is they were asking us about engagement and they would sort of say what their pain points were Mm -hmm. and challenges were. And so very often it was like, you know, we've got this great... Uh, message and we've and we're positioned well we figured out who our audience is but somehow these messages are not landing with our audience and we need something to make it stick but it would take something on our end to listen and to ask the right questions to get to that answer and once we got to that answer of like it's not sticking and as a result we're not making as much as we could in terms of results uh, then we knew that we had something because we could actually say well, look. The story is what makes the difference because that's what people are going to remember about you, your service, your product, and then that's when they got the value, you know. Uh, and of course, when they saw it in action, because as you said, there is a steep learning curve in terms of, you know, first you have to find the value, and then you know they kind of believed us, mm-hmm. and then we actually did the work, and there is a, a steep learning curve in terms of how to tell a story and you know learning that. But it actually doesn't take that long. Uh, you know, I often see that after a day of working with people, at the end of that day, they have a story and they have a story that's you know, pretty tight. And most importantly, even if it's not like the most beautiful story I've ever heard, it's a story that's very authentic to
1: mm-hmm. who
0: they are. So it, in other words, it's my story of this service, of this company. It's not the CEO's story that right. I'm repeating you know, it's like real, it's something that happened to me, and that I can relate to. And as a result, if I'm able to tell a story that I can relate to, chances are, you're going to relate to it, because I'm more passionate about it. Because now I'm, I believe in what I'm saying, you know, because I've got a story about it. Is there a, a, like a
1: standard kind of template that you're walking people through that, you know, kind of, it's, it's almost like the the story arc, or the, you know, the hero's journey, or whatever you want to, you know, whatever other, I guess, resource you want to kind of bring to bear here. But I mean, or is there, are there different pathways for different purposes? Like, you know,
0: yeah, like we no, there's definitely
1: we want to tell why this is important, right. you know, that type of thing. So.
0: Well, there's definitely a, a, a method uh, and and it is um, something that we repeat. Um, so no matter who the audience is actually, whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit or, or sales or, internal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, employee engagement, that kind of thing. Um, and, and, and it's really, it's very consistent. And the reason that it's so consistent and doesn't vary much is because we really believe that everyone can learn to tell their story. And, and a lot of times the obstacle that we have to overcome is the, is sort of this lack of, uh, self-belief that I, that I can tell a story yep. and, and, you know, usually people will think a lot of people will think, well, that person's better at it. So I'm just going to let them do it. Um, you know, but the truth is that, you know, the more you can get in touch with your own story and be able to tell it, the more you're going to be engaging to, to whatever audience. And you never know when you're going to have to say something about the company that you work for. Right. Uh, and what might be an opportunity to actually sell your services. You know, you're at a dinner party and someone asks you what you do. There's an opportunity there. And so, um, you know, that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is in terms of that method, what's interesting is that when my business partner, Murray, you know, created that method, he did it because there was nothing else available really. Mm -hmm. And he was working at the time with people who were literally uh, either dying or had been given, given a diagnosis that meant that they were very likely to die. And this was in the mid 1990s, and it was the AIDS epidemic. Mm. And specifically, he was doing a, a PhD in social work, and he was placed in a program to help people as a social worker uh, deal with the fact that, you know, they were probably going to die very soon. And they, you could see it, you know, you could see it in the streets of New York at the time, and and you could, and there were no treatments that exist, like the ones that exist today. And so it was a real crisis. Um, and, he the reason that they started to look at storytelling in this program is because nothing else was working Uh, when he was using his um, his kind of uh, training as a psychologist and as a social worker he would be one-on-one with people and he would say how do you feel and I said well how does that help me to tell you how I feel how would you feel if you knew you were going to die in a week what kind of dumb question is that Mm -hmm. what are they teaching you and so then he said well once he heard from one of the People in the program that what they were afraid of was not of dying; that they had all kind of come to terms with that, and that actually they had sort of found a community within this program because they all had the same diagnosis, but also they many of them had the same background mm-hmm. and felt very, very marginalized, and were very marginalized. And here they were all they all had this great sense of belonging. Um, but what she said they were afraid of was that they were afraid of leaving nothing behind that they wouldn't be remembered. Um, no legacy, no heritage. No, yeah, nothing. nothing and, and so that's when he had the idea, well, why don't you tell me the story and not just to me one-on-one, but as a group. And then those of us who are alive will carry those memories mm-hmm. forward. And yet when he, even as appealing as that may sound because of that pain point, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not gonna be remembered. Well, tell your story. There was still that hurdle that I also hear in businesses it's like, but how, yeah. you know, my story's not interesting. Yeah. I've been a crack addict, you know, like, what, mm-hmm. what do I say? I said, no, no, that's your story. So the first thing you had to do, and this is part of our method, is really look at listening and what gets in the way of people's ability to listen to one another and to really be present um and so they started with that they just started with working with listening through different kinds of you know what, what we would call today but at the time no it was it was you know mindfulness and meditative practices and things like that and then when once people got really present and they got a sense of safety that they were in a space where it was possible to listen to each other stories started to emerge and people started to open up and the and then when one person told their story The five other people who didn't want to, suddenly they wanted to because they could find a connection with that story. And little by little, everyone told their story and then they made videotapes of their stories. Hmm. And when the government threatened financial cutbacks on programs like theirs, they left their tapes on the desks of legislators and told them, listen to my story, watch my story and tell me I don't deserve the same right as everybody else. But it's that methodology that was so effective that we still use today. You know, we, I adapted it quite a bit for businesses. So you know, it, it's, that, it's that methodology um, that really helped people to feel comfortable and safe and be able to really open up. Uh, and that method is the one that we use in businesses. You know, it, it really hasn't changed that much. And the main thing is that it starts with listening. And, and when you start with that, you're, you're taking the pressure off of, you know, oh, I have to be a storyteller, I have right. to perform, you know, right. it's all on me. Because what we say is actually, it's all on the listener. Mm. Because the listener is the one that's giving you something that you can actually that allows you to speak, essentially. And we've kind of all been in those situations where, you know, your listeners, either they allow you to speak, or they don't. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they don't, you know, it's they, they're just waiting for for, the, for them to speak. So, so we sort of look at that first. And then we have, you know, some specific points that sort of show how to tell an effective story. And the main one I will give you now is is to really follow what happened so that every story should be the answer to the question, what happened? Sounds pretty obvious. And, you know, like every journalist will probably say, well, yeah, of course, what happened? But it's not easy when you put it in practice, because what people tend to do is they tend to tell you what they thought about what happened, what they felt about what happened, what mm-hmm. their opinions were about what happened, what their interpretations were about what happened, so much so that you don't even know what happened. <laughs> so, so
1: I'm having to so extrapolate then, here out of, yeah. out of the details you left out.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the idea with human beings is that you know we respond to stories because our, our brains are wired for them. Mm. And so we we can fill in the blanks when we hear a story. We naturally know how to respond to the arc. We want to find out what the turning point is, mm-hmm. what the resolution is, you know, what's what's the challenge at the beginning. We know all these things naturally. We don't have to learn these things. Right. And so what you really do have to learn is kind of parsing out what's really, truly something that happened in an experience that's in the real world, as opposed to what's going on in your head, which since I'm not in your head, I can either... Agree with it or disagree with it, right. but I can't disagree with the facts of an experience that actually happened. I, I, it was interesting. You,
1: you, you, I talked about the story. I didn't tell you what happened in the story, but <laughs> as, as you were talking, I was almost imagining these like these two different scenarios. So, one is like we're going to teach you how to tell the story of your business or the mm-hmm. tell the story of the product. The second. The com- maybe completely unrelated is how to relate communication to story in general. Yeah. So like when you're engaging a client, how do you how do you like create a story on the fly? How do you create the like set the stage where we're just not you know talking at each other, but I'm kind of setting a scene. I'm really painting a picture mm-hmm. you know mentally in your mind. So are both of those kind of true? Or is, or do you kind of lean one way or the other as far as just the the company itself is concerned? Does that make any sense I, I, at
0: all? It does, and I and I definitely lean towards the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in other words, the the one where you're you're able to you know create that story uh, out of out of the person who's listening to you, you know, out of their listening. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily on the fly, but it's it because it could be. You know, we we sort of have these uh, these stories that we teach how to tell, which are, we kind of call them the the back pocket story or the hip pocket story. And, and you, you always have a story that's ready to go, but you may or may not tell it Mm -hmm. depending on your audience. But the point is that you always have one that's ready and, and it relates to you as opposed to the story of the company or the product that's been sort of created by your marketing department, you know, and, and those, you know, for, for me, the, the word itself story has a very particular meaning. And to me, it's always related to something personal. So that's kind of why we we even say that what we do is personal storytelling for business, mm-hmm. because it's always the personal stories that guide us yep. in many of our decisions, you know, even in our entertainment. I mean, that's what we, you know, it's what engages us. And, and then I think that from those personal stories, you can create the story of the company. When it's done the other way around, it's, it's a little more difficult to, to create that authenticity right. and that sense of I would, connection. I see that. You know, it's, it becomes a little bit more abstract um, and, and more difficult for someone to, to relate to that story. So very often we get to the, to that kind of general messaging of the company through the stories that we hear from individuals in a particular department, and, you know, we'll we'll be very strategic about that. We'll find the right people so that there's a diversity and a representation there. Um, and also we'll do it according to certain themes or values that we know the company and these products are about. Right. And then we'll ask people to bring those themes or values to life through their own stories that have actually happened to them or to their clients. But that the point is that they were there, you know, they, they've seen these stories firsthand and they can tell us about them. I
1: um, I have kind of a personal mantra about about listening that I mm. sometimes I ask people like you know if we're in, engaged in conversation and I mean I have to ask it judiciously so it's not offensive but uh, mm. there are times when I'll ask them I'll say are you listening to respond or are you listening to understand mm. Mm. because the difference is. I'm just waiting for you to give me a break so I can tell you what I want to tell you versus I am really listening to understand your perspective and the things you're trying to to share with me, but I I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So, you know, kind of put your money where your mouth is on the the podcast here. So (laughs) if you and I are in an elevator, what's the hip pocket story that you're, that you're telling me to show me the value of the company narrative.
0: Oh, that's great. I love it. Well, I would say, you know, it's uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a a short story about uh, about one of our one of our clients, uh, because I I really do believe that if if you want to say something about the value of what you do, uh, you know, rather than uh, than saying something that's kind of general Mm -hmm. about it, uh, you know, quote, unquote, the elevator pitch, um, it's sometimes, you know, Again, it'll fall flat or it'll work, you know, but you're never quite sure. So I, I like to tell stories about clients, you know, and people who've actually done this. Um, so I had this this one client, um, a big, big company, financial company, and he was saying that you know they have so much data to communicate about and to convey that he's not quite sure, what to communicate about, you know, I've got 20, Mm. 30 points of data that I got to get through this PowerPoint deck. And he showed me the PowerPoint deck. And after five slides, I was like, how many more of these do you have? He said, 35, oh my God. I (laughs) have over. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So then we went to work and, and I asked him, what do you relate to? In this, you know, what's the most important piece of data in this? And then he told me a story about his father. This was about a, a retirement um, insurance product, and uh, and he told me about how his father had had an accident on the job, and he had been able to put all four kids through college, and here he was at fifty years old in serious uh, pain and ha- had to go on disability, and a year and a half of uh, re- rehab because he'd fallen off a 12 foot ladder in a warehouse and had nothing uh, to, mm. that he'd saved for retirement, even though he was getting regular paychecks. Yep. But his bank account at the end of that year was, was zero in terms of his savings for retirement. And that's the story he told eventually to that group that he was presenting to. His PowerPoint deck went down to five slides instead of 40. Mm. And, and you could hear a pin drop in the audience and they were all leaning in to learn how can we help people like your father? And what he said, my father's not alone. The average retirement account in America right now is zero dollars. Wow. <laughs> and he ended that way. And so that's my that's my story to you to show you the value, because without that story, everything kind of, you know, it's again half of that, maybe a third of the room is in agreement, mm. a third disagrees. And another third is indifferent. Yep. But when you have a real care. story of a real person, it changes everything.
1: I, I love the way you you kind of framed it earlier. You said, you know, it's how do I personalize this? I and mean, this is out of mm. personal experience. And this is drawing a, a direct application out of personal experience. And otherwise, I'm telling someone else's story. Mm. And it, there there's a lack of genuineness or, or connection, you know, in yeah. that in that story. And I think even, you know, astute listeners probably can pick that up, you yes. know, in the process that, you know, you're just telling me this kind of vicariously, right? This is not, <laughs> this didn't happen to you. It happened to somebody you knew, right?
0: <laughs> or, or
1: somebody you didn't know, you're just making a story up to make me, you know, kind of plug, you know, play on my sympathies with, with my, yeah. you know, thinking about my father being disabled, you know, type thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. an interesting, it's a really interesting um, genre. You know, mm-hmm. just the whole idea behind storytelling, and but I think it's highly underutilized. Yeah, yeah, you know, just in general. Yeah, and not just in business, just in in general. And I mean, how many cultures on the planet are still, you know, more of a storytelling culture versus Absolutely. you know written communication type thing.
0: Yeah, and this is what we started with, uh, you know, in the human, uh, humanity started with those stories in those, those cave paintings, you know, (laughs) that, that we see where it's clearly, uh, you know, one person communicating to another about the dangers of this herd of mammoths and, you know, or, or where to get food and that sort of thing. You know, these were, these were ways to communicate that are exactly like a story. Mm -hmm. And so, and it preceded our ability to, to speak. And to write, and so I, I think you know you're right. How many of those kind of cultures are left? But what's interesting is that in my experience, when we tap into that, there's no one that doesn't respond to it because yep. it's it's just a natural thing, and it doesn't matter. We've at this point, I think we've uh, we've had to translate our work in maybe ten or fifteen languages, and and you know across the world, um, it, it really does. Across these cultural barriers um, and, and everyone has a very positive response of understanding right like you were saying earlier uh, because now when I'm telling you a story you understand my circumstances differently than if you're just you know kind of waiting to to speak yourself right um, you okay. know as a listener waiting to respond uh, the story kind of stops that and it makes us it forces us to just uh, engage because we can't really help ourselves, mm-hmm. we have to know what's going to happen next.
1: <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm not looking to argue your story, you know, I'm yeah. not looking to try to one up, you know, right. and they try to one up you with the story, but then it's my story again. So,
0: right, um, right, exactly. And that's the point too, is like, it's, you're creating dialogue that mm-hmm. way. I was just talking to someone who uh, specializes in conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, they look at different, uh, different ways. And again, it has to do with listening. But they were saying that when when someone tells a story, first of all, that when two people or two groups are in, in really big disagreements, I mean, she actually worked with people in Northern Ireland, you know, between the IRA and mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Um, and, and so big, big disagreements to say the least. And yet when what would happen is that you would have all these assumptions about the person that's walking through the door based on what you've heard about them or the label uh, that you have in your head about them. And then when they tell a story, those assumptions start to, to crumble, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because now you're hearing about them, perhaps as a child, um, you know, growing up somewhere and what the kind of food that they ate and what clothes they were and, you know, what kinds of struggles they had. Uh, There's a different understanding that happens when you hear about someone's circumstances as they happened in their life, as opposed to you know, their feelings and thoughts about their circumstances, but the actual yeah. things that happened, that's what speaks most, uh, to, to, to people. And that's what creates understanding. And then it makes you want to tell a story as well, you know, and to say, oh, well, let me tell you about how I grew up, you know, and, and where, where there's a connection and where there's, there's, you know, a disconnect perhaps.
1: It's, uh, uh just a personal example. I mean, we were living in the middle East when nine 11 happened mm. and the, the perception you know, ethnically, and when, you know, country to country, there was a, there was a real um, disparaging attitude, you know, probably toward countries located in the Middle East. When you met individuals, it, that kind of melted away, you know, because of the story, because of the, you know, the personalization and the fact that, you know, they reached out and they were kind and they, you know, you live next door and, and just the whole idea that kind of broke down those barriers, exactly what you were talking about earlier. And
0: yeah. And, it was and you an know, interesting time. It, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm imagining my God. Um, but, but that's what happens all the time, right? We tend to create these um, what we call these dominant narratives. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times those dominant narratives are extremely detrimental to a group of people, Um, You know, and, and that's what marginalizes people is that you're not part of the dominant narrative. So you're outside of it. And so I don't pay attention to that because I'm only interested in the dominant narrative. And, you know, when I even bring it back to the business world, it's no different. There's a dominant narrative about salespeople. You're going to sell something to me, you're going to sound like a robot, you're going to talk to me about all the features and how this has changed your life and how maybe it will change mine, but you're probably not going to really listen to me and you probably don't care about me. That's the dominant narrative about sales. And so what we're doing with these stories, and especially these personal stories, is we're breaking down these dominant narratives, and and those stereotypes, so much so that really you, you can't help but look at it with a new perspective. Because now you're hearing about this real person that's in front of you and they're laying something out for you where they're talking about something that, you know, might be a little vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and something that, you know, was challenging to them, um, in their own life. And, and it's hard to ignore that, uh, yep. now you, you've got that picture in your mind. You can't sort of, you know, forget that picture.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, it is, storying is powerful. There is no mm. doubt about it. There's there's a real power in in the ability to tell a good story. To, I mean, I mean, we talked about it for generations. I mean, spinning yeah. a yarn, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the whole idea of just kind of what does it mean to to sit down and kind of captivate and capture someone's attention. But I'd, I'm interested to talk a little bit about the company itself. So, uh, it, I mean, are we talking about two dudes sitting in a little tiny office somewhere in New York City. Are we talking about a hundred people? That's How what it know? was at first. Yeah. So what's what's <laughs> been kind of the growth pattern of, of narrative?
0: It was definitely uh, me and Murray for a while. Um, There's another founder who's more of a silent partner, uh, Paul. So I would meet him from time to time. Um, and, and it was really the two, sometimes three of us for, for a while until you know we got those first clients. And then what we decided to do we had sort of two choices. One is that once we started to get some some track, some tracking, and momentum, um, we, in my head, as the CEO of this company, I was now thinking, all right, well, we can either go the route of you know the big consulting agencies mm-hmm. and get an army of trainers and train them up, and you know that's who we send out into the world, or we can actually create programs where within those companies. We've got these what we call these ambassadors, that, right. and I'm talking about the our clients now, uh, where we actually do training the trainers programs mm-hmm. within those companies. And many times, you know these are people who have they're not necessarily uh, the leaders of the company, but they yeah and they're not even necessarily directors. you know they're more like managers. and and they're also people who see a lot of uh, new hires and onboard new hires. And so I, I quickly found out that that was probably the most effective way to do things. And it also allowed us to keep a fairly lean budget because you know right now we've got five full-time employees. So we've always kept it pretty, pretty lean. And yet we've got all these trainers that are more part-time that we, who we've trained and are part of our team, but they're not full-time. And so they go out and do this work. But most of the people who sort of have learned this methodology actually are in these companies that are our clients. Uh, So that's sort of the model that we went with. So, so we don't have a huge amount of people, um, but within these companies, we've got all these ambassadors and that's, that pays dividends later too, when people move from one company to another or department to another, because they remember us and they still have this knowledge, uh, you know, that they want to pass on to others.
1: Is it, is it really like a one-off model type Thing. We're going to teach you the system, mm-hmm. and then you 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 know develop the application later. You you decide where you want to apply this, or is this like a we have you know here's the 101 level, here's our 201 level, 301, 401. We have kind of add on services and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, we definitely it's it's definitely with the you know services that kind of build on 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 the on the previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can have it as a one off you know, and and certainly get a lot of value out of it and, and you know, be able to get a lot of runway out of it too. But I think uh, inevitably, there's always new applications that happen and new people come on board. And, you know, we we always find out that, you know, we need to come back in so that that transfer of knowledge happens. And so what we've done is we've actually created some programs a little bit in the same logic that you were just uh, you know, uh, laying out in terms of it's the 201, the 301, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but for us, what we're now doing is at the level of onboarding, when new hires come in, we're now working much more with the broader culture of the company, right? Uh, you know, so what are the values of the company? What's the mission? And what are you telling your new hires as soon as they come in? What's that story you're telling? So we're now consulting with companies to, to help on that messaging for new hires. For sure. And then we're training those new hires so that they themselves will potentially be the ones who tell the new hires in two years, mm-hmm. what the story is, you know? So there's this kind of cycle that's happening and that's been great for us. Cause you know, we, we essentially come once or twice a year with a, with a new um, you know, with, with, with these new um, people, who've gone through that process and who are now going to teach others. Now
1: the each one teach one, you yes. know, mentality You know, teach what you learn, but so yeah. th- I could see um, you know, teaching them how to share the story of their company culture or whatever, but do you also help companies even develop their culture?
0: Like, yeah, like how do we, how do we codify it? You know, that type yeah. of thing. So, and you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that, um, I remember a real estate company that we worked with a long time ago is they were, they were one of our first clients and, uh, you know, they, they, they had a very uh, strong company culture actually. And, and it had, it was almost like a family and many people described it that way and but at first it was just a few people you know, maybe a dozen people and then they grew to about 50 60 people mm-hmm. fairly quickly uh, in, in a year or two that happened and um, and so suddenly you know this tight knit family doesn't really feel that way anymore yeah. um, and so what we did is that we brought in everyone at, a, at an offsite and a retreat type of type of event and we spent a day with them and we had the the original group of people who were in the company, there were, uh, you know, 10 or so people, and each person came up with a story that was related to one of the values, the original values that they had come up with, you know, all those years ago. And then we asked the audience, which was predominantly, you know, new people or fairly new, a year or two, and we asked them, you know, what did you hear as the values of this company? Does that feel right to you, uh, given these stories that you just heard? And it was fascinating because a lot of the Core values were there, but then on a board, we had ten or fifteen other ones, and and then we started doing this process with them of looking at well, who, who are you really today? And it made the new people kind of feel this great sense of belonging because they were like, oh hey, look, that's my word up there that's now mm-hmm. on the company site wow. and that's yeah. in the office, you know. Uh, and I've only been here for six months, and and yet the person who's been there for you know five years they relate to it as well. And so it, it not only creates this kind of, you know, esprit de corps and Mm -hmm. and belonging, but, but it really also, um, you know, evolves these, you know, this culture of this company in a way that's a lot more authentic. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of updated. And now this is truly who we are because we came up with it. You know, it's not some creative agency that came up with it. And it's, it's,
1: it's their internal story. It's their, it's just kind of, Putting into words what what they wanted to convey, but yeah. I I uh, I can continue to ask you questions and draw stories out of you all day long. But I I <laughs> want to respect your time, and I uh, I do want to to give you an opportunity to kind of share as as you know having led a company for a number of years. What are what are really one or two like key takeaways that you would say? Man, I wish I would have known these these two you know really salient points. Of, 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever the, mm. you pick the time frame, but I think would really have been a game changer and saved me a lot of pain, saved our company, some heartache, you know, in the process, yeah. people that are a little further behind you in the journey right now, what what are one or two things that
0: kind of stand out? I mean, this is, this is hard for anybody who's an entrepreneur, I think. Uh, and I think we all kind of struggle with this, but, you know, Patience. <laughs> it's definitely uh, something that I, I have valued uh, over the years, uh, you know, because I think there is an impatience, uh, especially at the beginning of things, where you see the value of what you're doing. And, you know, you get a couple of people who don't. And, and so mm-hmm. you go from one person pitching it to another. And, you know, they, they, it's, it's like hitting a brick wall. And so there's value in that experience because it forces you to be more and more specific, and um, you know, figure out what are the challenges, why aren't they listening to you, and what is that wall that you're hitting. So that's valuable. But I think there's also something about I know that you know being impatient or or having there's a couple of times where well you know maybe this just shouldn't do this you know there, there's no why, why continue right. Um, and then it's usually in those moments that something happens where, uh, you know, suddenly that client you know kind of falls into your lap or something positive happens and that keeps you going, right? But I do think that if I had known, you know, kind of this, this long game mentality, mm-hmm. uh, I think is really helpful. And that's not always, especially, you know, as a younger person at the time, I, I, I definitely wanted things to happen faster. And, and I think if I'd been able to let go of that, Maybe it wouldn't have been such a it wouldn't have been a good, the cause of kind of more personal suffering, <laughs> right? right.
1: Um,
0: because you know, for for an outsider, you would be like, "Oh yeah, well, of course, things don't happen from one day to the next." But but it is sort of what society, um, I think. I mean, not to get too philosophical about this, but you know, I, I do think that there is something about our society that's sort of about about immediate gain and you know, uh, quick gratification and that sort of thing. Microwave um, mentality. Yeah, when when the reality is that things take time. Mm-hmm. And once you get that, and I certainly get it now, uh, it, re- it allows you to kind of relax a little bit yeah. and see, th- see the longer runway, uh, which is always helpful anyway, to have that sort of vision, because that impatience really gets in the way of your vision.
1: Uh, it's such a broad ranging, you know, kind of tidbit. It's a broad ranging nugget you know, and yeah. it would apply in so many different areas, but right, but Jerome, I, I uh, really appreciate you just taking time today, just to kind of share the story of not only of narrative, but also of Jerome DeRoy and, and uh, just kind of walking us through and then the importance of, of being, you know, of storing well, of, yeah. of telling a good story and of the applications that you can, you can draw out of that. But I just really appreciate you uh, just joining us and really playing your part in helping all boats rise and a rising tide. Jerome, have a great weekend. Bon weekend.
0: Bon weekend, Merci mon ami. Beaucoup. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. It's a pleasure. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.